0: Mr. Fryer, let's go.
1: Lawrence Holmes, noon to 2, on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Let's go now. You fired the first shot. Let's go.
2: Jason Leisure. I'm here in the studio at The Score. This is a very, very special honor for
1: you. Co-host of the Sports Adjacent Podcast.
0: I don't really like doing the radio, man. Yes. I don't like doing sports radio like the typical. That's why I've wanted to be on your show because your show is, uh, what's the word for it? Interesting.
1: His takes will leave you speechless. It feels like there is some hateration and holleration in this sanctuary because I do feel like Mm. Jason and and Tony, there's a little bit of hate there. I'm not sure what holleration means. I'll just
2: be upfront with that. (laughs) I can figure out hateration. I'm not sure about holleration.
1: Jason Leisure on the Lawrence Holmes Show on The Score.
0: Jason Leisure joins me on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline. Circa Resort and Casino out in Las Vegas. It's a place where you should go and hang out, watch the tournament because... They have the best and biggest sports book around. Jason Leisure has been in Indianapolis covering the Combine. He's nice enough to join us here on The Score. Mr. Leisure, how are you, sir?
2: I am very good, Lawrence. Thank you. I'm still in Indianapolis. And I got to tell you, man, like I know you've been at this. This is like a late night, every night type event. And uh, staying out past 930 is a young man's game.
0: Yes, it is a, a young man's game, and I'm wondering if you were convinced by your brethren to actually go out and be in these streets in Naptown.
2: Yes, but not like I learned yesterday that there is going out, and then there is going out, out, and some of my friends were like, hey, you want to come out with us? And I was like, yeah, that's that's great. Let's do that. And then they were like, well, just so you know, we're going out, out. And I was like, hmm, because part of the problem is I'm married, married. I'm not just married. I'm, like, married, married. So I don't think I'm going to be going out, out.
0: Well, I told you to stay out of Tiki Bobs, man. Like, that that's a place that can cause <laughs> trouble for people. You can't be walking around downtown Indy and hanging, be hanging out, uh, at your age, and I and I mean that sincerely. You're not even an old man, but at your age, you can't right. be out in these streets like that.
2: At my real age, at my like life age, not my birth certificate age. Correct.
0: So okay, well that's uh that that I understand the 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 pull of wanting to go out because you want to be friendly and it's your colleagues and stuff, but. I believe you've learned the term uh, kickback. Like that's a, that's a, that's what you, you want to do now, right? Is that what it? it
2: Pro- yeah, probably a good you know a good contained kickback, a kickback that uh, that ends at like you know ten thirty and t- it ends at ten thirty and I'm already at my house because I'm hosting it or something like that. That'd be ideal. Yeah. Well, you're out and about, like not only to socialize with friends from all around the country all around the league because everybody converges on here but you're also talking to league people team people agents I mean there's there's a lot that you have to do here Uh, there's a lot that you do here that comes like after the work day so you put in a full workday, and then you then you start that part of the job
0: well, yes, and that's what makes it worthwhile. The other stuff, like, I feel like I could just kind of watch it on TV. Uh, and, and, but the, the access, and you wrote a really great piece that's, that was in the, the the reader, the e-reader of the Sun-Times today that I wanted to ask you about. How would, how would you characterize, and I know a little bit of this answer, but for the person that's listening and didn't read the piece, how would you characterize Ryan Poles' review of the Bears' offensive line last year
2: I would say infuriating I would say he felt what you felt um and the difference is that he's going to actually do something about it you know what it'd be like it'd be like if you were in another city Lawrence uh on a trip or whatever let's just say you're in Denver or something and you're listening to one of the sports hosts and you as a as a seasoned sports host as someone that uh, knows the craft so well had to sit through while you're in the car in denver or whatever somebody that was just hacking it up just terrible just all the all the cliches all the gimmicks all they do is take calls and you'd be sitting there like man this is an affront to people like me who are artists uh that's how ryan poles felt watching their offensive line in particular as someone who loves offensive line play. Now, Ryan Poles was not a great offensive lineman, but he was good enough that he made it to the NFL, and he is like an aficionado of great offensive line play. And watching what the Bears had last year, he, it just kept angering him. He was, like, insulted by it. Like, this cannot continue. And this is another area on this roster where it's a problem that Ryan Pace thought he solved incorrectly. And Ryan Poles is like, no, we need a real answer at these positions
0: do you think you got a, a feeling of what Poles thinks about Jenkins and Borum? No,
2: I don't know if anybody could really tell you that they do at this point. And he certainly doesn't want that out there, but I would say what I can tell from Ryan Poles' view of those guys is that he doesn't care what Ryan pace and the previous staff thought of them. He does not, it does not matter to him. It is so irrelevant to him that the bears drafted Tevin Jenkins in the second round and envisioned him as their starting left tackle for the next 10 years. Doesn't care. does not matter. And that's, that's a really good thing for the bears right now to have somebody come in who has no attachments. Like, it's not on him to make that look like a smart pick. If he looks at that guy and says, that guy's a backup, or if he looks at, at Tevin Jenkins, or if he looks at him and says, no, he's a right tackle. And you probably aren't usually going to want to draft your right tackle that high, spend that high of a pick at that position and so be it. It's not on him to make all these past moves and investments look like they were good decisions.
0: I honestly like I'm encouraged by that because you're right. The new general manager doesn't need to prove the old general manager right. That 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 his job is to come in with some clear eyes and and really assess like if if what you're telling me is what it sounds like you're telling me at least when it comes to offensive line play, he is taking a real deep dive into how to get this thing right. And he's not really worried about the feelings of the players that are already here.
2: Yeah. And he clearly, while he's watching that, clearly is seeing a talent deficiency, but that's not the thing he keeps talking about. The thing he keeps bringing up is the overall attitude. And you think back to, the Vikings game at home where Kevin Jenkins goes after DJ Wanham for hitting Justin Fields and gets a penalty for it. And then Jermaine Effetti is chastising uh, Jenkins on the sideline. I I would love to have been sitting next to Ryan Poles when he was rewatching that because Ryan Poles wants guys who will protect Justin Fields in a very literal sense, not just scheme, not just technique, like people that will take it personally that, no one should be touching Justin Fields. And if you remember Justin Fields, when that happened, said something to the effect of, yeah, we need more of that. I I like that. We need more of that. And I think that's where, that's one of the main things that bothered Ryan Poles is he sees Fields getting knocked around and nobody doing anything about it.
0: What are your impressions of, of Poles and Eberflus? Now that, you know, we, we can see them in a more, in more of a football context with them at the combine and, we, we can really talk to them about how they're putting together and forging the next roster of Bears football.
2: It's still early. It's still, what are we, about a month in with these guys. And I have talked to Ryan Poles maybe like four times and Matt Eberflus two or three times. So it's early. They haven't made a single real move yet, and the moves are what speaks more than anything they're going to actually say. Uh, polls, I'm optimistic about how he's going to be with the media, and the reason that that's relevant for me to bring up here is because how he is with the media is going to be how he is with the public, with the fans, Uh, by extension, like how much he how much access he gives us and how honest he is with us is how much access and how honest he's going to be with everybody that's listening to this show and everyone that follows the Bears. Uh, Eberflus is, uh, it's a discouraging start because he started the the press conference the other day uh, with, uh, hey guys, in total transparency, uh, I just want to tell you that I can't really answer a lot of questions, which is kind of a contradictory sentence. And uh, the the part that really was like, uh, you know, popping the balloon for me was, I asked him, hey, This is this is such an easy question, Lawrence. Anybody, there's there's no harm in answering this. Who you got to make all these changes? You got to implement this defense, whatever. Who do you like on the current roster? So, like, currently signed, you're allowed to talk about them. Who do you look at on this current roster and say these guys already fit? This guy, this guy, this guy. These guys are already like Matt Eberflus defense type guys. Um, I'm not worried about them. And he's like, no, I I can't. I'm not going to name names. I don't want to get into that. You're like, man, if you're not gonna get into that, what are you gonna get into?
0: Yes, it does leave you it doesn't leave you with a lot of things to discuss with the new Bears head coach if he's not willing to talk about even the current roster. That's uh that's that's a, a real test for the people that are are on the, the beat. The the notes package that, that you put together in the, the e-reader of the Sun Times today, you guys are talking about Justin Fields. And mm-hmm. is there value in trying to reconnect Justin Fields with one of his receivers at Ohio State?
2: Can I give you an unpopular opinion? Sure. I I don't think so. No, I doubt it. What what there's value in is getting him really good wide receivers. Do you think it's more important to Joe Burrow that he had played with Jamar Chase before or that Jamar Chase is incredible?
0: It's more important that Jamar Chase is incredible, but I don't want to say, hey, it, there is value. Like, to me, it's like a bonus. Like He's an incredible player, and if you're trying to decide whether or not to take this wide receiver over a guy that's going to play guard for you for, for 10 years in, in, in Panay Sewell, then maybe the, the tiebreaker is, I played with him in college, I know what he can do.
2: Uh, I'm all about supporting Justin Fields and treating him like a franchise quarterback, but I don't think he's in position to be making those decisions quite yet. Um, You know, like when I played intramural football, I was really comfortable with all those wide receivers, but if I was the the starting quarterback for the Bears next season, I don't think you want to go back and sign all my intramural friends. I think you want to sign the really good receivers, the best guys you can absolutely get, and just let, let everybody figure it out on the fly.
0: Well, also because those guys are like 37, 38 years old, so...
2: True. A little late in the yeah, a little late for uh, you know for NFL prime receiving years. Yes, that's correct. But yeah. the point stands. Like get get him the best receivers, and we're sitting here in February. We've got till September. Like I'm pretty sure he'll develop some chemistry with whatever awesome receivers you bring in.
0: Is there any chance that Allen Robinson finds his way back onto this roster?
2: Uh, yeah, I guess there's a chance. I mean, it's a whole new. Death, and I think they could use him. But if you were him, would you want to?
0: No, I wouldn't. I would be looking to – if I were him, I would be looking to go to a place and have a similar chance like Odell Beckham Jr. Like that's what I'd be looking yes. for. I, if, if I were him, money wouldn't be the biggest thing that I'd be looking for. He, he, he really in, throughout his entire career hasn't had a chance – to play for a winning team. Uh, money oh my would be gosh, sec- look like the
2: quarterbacks he's played with.
0: That's what I mean. Like, I would, it would be secondary to me. Like, the money would be secondary to me. It would be uh, not totally ring chasing. It would be let me go find a place where I can help a team really, really who's close to, to being in that. And what is that like if I were him?
2: Yeah. I think you and I are kind of on the same wavelength. And I would, if I was Allen Robinson. I would go somewhere where there's a good quarterback on a on a nice sturdy one year deal. Not not a not a cheap deal by any means, but like I, I would take a one year decent deal to play with a good quarterback for one season and have the chance to reset the market. Because think about like what the dispute was between him and the Bears. It basically boiled down to they say, Hey, your stats put you here. Your, your stats tell us like you're in this tier, you're pretty good, whatever. And his contention would have always been in those negotiations, uh, fine, but I get a lot of extra credit because you've been running me out there with Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles. And I always sit there like, kind of imagining what this guy would do if he played with Aaron Rodgers. And clearly Allen Robinson has been imagining that too. So I think if you put him on a really good team for a year and he's still, I I always forget how old Allen Robinson is because he's always younger than you think he is. Uh, He's still probably going to be 29 or 30 coming out of that. He could give himself a chance for one more huge contract if he went somewhere with a good quarterback and had a big year. Justin Fields might have a big year. He really might, but no one knows that. Nobody could sit here and and reasonably predict that based on where we're at now. I wouldn't take that chance if I was Allen Robinson.
0: Mr. Leisure, have fun out in these uh, Indianapolis streets and going out-out with, with the likes of, uh, of a Patrick Finley and, and Adam Hogue and anyone else that, that is along for the ride. Thanks, as always. I will talk to you soon. See you, man. That is Jason Leisure. You should be reading the stuff that he's putting out there in the Sun Times about the Bears. It's really good content, and I'm glad that he was available to talk about some of this stuff with me today. When we come back, like, I reached out to my, my guy, Clinton Yates, Because he loves baseball in a way that, quite honestly, I'm jealous of. Like, I felt like I loved baseball. But what he's been doing over the last few weeks, traveling around literally the world, watching baseball in different venues from Little League all the way up to to the minor leagues, it's fascinating stuff. He was talking about all of this stuff on the Round the Horn, the last couple of days with the lockout and the the end of negotiation. By the way, the, the, there was a negotiation by MLB and MLBPA today, and they are now hopefully going to schedule more. Anyway, if you're a baseball lover, like if you're someone that says, I don't just love the White Sox or the Cubs, but I do love the game, I think you should stick around for the next segment because you will find a kindred spirit and Clinton Yates. He joins me next here on The Score.
1: Lawrence Holmes, noon to two, on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. All is not lost. Number one, college baseball is playing a lot, but there are still professionals out there in the minor leagues, and I'm not just talking about the players. Everybody from the staffs to the front offices Mm -hmm. to the grounds crew who keeps that thing going on the smaller parts of America that are connected to the ballpark, go out and support them this summer. Major League Baseball is not the only form of this game that you're allowed to love. Shout out to MILB and everybody who makes it work. I love it.
0: That was yesterday on Around the Horn on ESPN and there there aren't as many like advocates for the game that are as passionate as Clinton Yates is. It's why I wanted to have him on the show. Also because like he's he knows what he's talking about when it comes to these labor agreements. He joins me on the Circuit Resort and Casino hotline. Circuit Resort and Casino. Out in Las Vegas, they've got a really, really great sports book. Sir, thank you for your time today. I appreciate it.
1: Of course. Can we talk about it? not only do I have a major interest in baseball, but I'm also a major radio nerd? That was quality bump production, my guy. You guys are doing it right over there, mixing in the TV sound over the – oh, we love this. Thank you very much. i a lot.
0: Brandon Fryer is doing an excellent job of uh, he earlier we celebrated uh, three feet high and rising. So, I mean, we're we're definitely on top of it today. We're 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 doing what we can. I I wanted to compliment you. I mean, I know that I, I could probably do this privately, but I feel like you you are becoming the patron saint of the game, not of Major League Baseball, but of baseball in general. And, and it feels like to me by watching, your, watching you move on social that you're on a bit of a baseball sojourn right now between the Bahamas, between watching Little League games, between watching the minor leagues. So I, I got to know, like, what pushed you to go out and explore baseball in this way?
1: Yeah, you know, this is a tremendous question. And I, I, I have not been asked this before, which is, again, a serious compliment. And now that you mention it, I mean, it traces back it's a very simple thing. I grew up in a city that did not have a major league baseball team, and I still loved the game. So my accessibility points to the game came through where I played, where people I played with played, the closest games I could get to. You end up covering the game, and you find out about guys that didn't necessarily make it to the bigs, but they were all over the place in terms of their particular personal journey. And you start to realize you know, the climb of a baseball player is more sort of – I don't know, corollary to a normal person's life in terms of really trying to break through, then people realize. You think about the people that are at the top. That's just one part of it, man. There's a whole system of roots that works for the tree of baseball that's just different and it's global and it's not necessarily rooted to the capitalism that is in Major League Baseball. And in many ways, well, it's just more fun, you know? And that's what I learned in the later part of my life when I decided, you know what? I'm not looking back. This is what I'm going to do with myself because this is what I love.
0: Well, it, it's fun. I mean, the, the story about baseball in the Bahamas, uh, Bahamas, I thought was incredible. But I also think that there, there's some joy that's missed out. And as baseball has become regional and tribal, like we care. I care about the White Sox and, and White Sox fans care about the White Sox. They might not necessarily care about MLB or the game itself. I do think that maybe it, this will spur people on a little bit to go and explore. So when you go to these minor league ballparks or you're talking to people in other countries that love baseball, what's the feedback that you're getting from them on the game itself? And do you think that it's allowed you to rekindle some of the joy that you have when watching the game be played?
1: 100%. That's that again is an excellent question. And that's the reason why I do it. And I say it this way, if you participated in baseball in any level up until the high school level in your particular part of the globe where you happen to live and grow up, you're probably going to be a baseball fan for life. And the reason why that's important to say is because you mentioned this, people are fans of the White Sox because they're in Chicago, or because they associate with the branding. What baseball hasn't figured out is that they need to get people to just playing like baseball again. And by that, I mean MLB hasn't figured that out. I don't need goofy gimmicks. I don't need this, that, and the third. Like, I like the sport because I played it. And that's why when you think about the participation of the minor leagues and how people interface with the sport on that level and what it means on a simple labor force, from a simple labor force standpoint. They eliminated 42 minor league teams in the last two years. What is that? I don't understand how that jives with trying to actually make the actual game better, man. Like, look, do I think racing presidents or sausages or whatever are cool? Yeah, but I also like watching dudes run around the bases and people pick the ball up off the dirt and try to throw it and get them out. Like, the actual game is what matters to me. And when I get out to these places that are not just Major League Baseball fields and not just spring training sites, people care about the actual game because it's just cool to watch to them. And that's good enough for me. And that's something that I'm trying to bring back the love of the actual sport, not just what the effects of being good at it are.
0: So, so how did this hit you over the last couple of days where there was this, this self-imposed deadline by the owners that hits and they start knocking games off the schedule?
1: It was particularly depressing because I think, you know, for those of you, I was never in debate club, but you know what I'm saying? I used to hang out on the court all the time and in the locker room and argue with people. And I can tell you that sometimes when you know somebody's argument only comes down to one thing, it makes it really difficult to communicate with them. And the owners have exposed themselves as really only being about greed the only thing they're arguing about is really how much money they can save to try to make the product as doable as possible with the least money possible in 2022 i just don't think that that's palatable to most sports fans never mind baseball fans it's ugly people know that people don't feel the same way about billionaires and so to me to think man You've been exposed. Everybody knows this, and you're still taking this hardline stance. What am I supposed to believe outside of the fact that maybe you just kind of don't actually like baseball, and that, to me, is where it becomes very saddening, and that was the feeling I had.
0: You said something yesterday. I I, I wrote it down because I thought it was brilliant, and we're talking with Clinton Yates of of ESPN, a lover of baseball, that you said that the damage that's happening into the game isn't us. It's not you and I, two guys who love baseball, and are going to be in it or about it whenever it comes back. It's the fans that you don't gain. What, what do you mean by that? What I mean by
1: that is that, the way that the owners are trying to access, access the fans in terms of what they think is going to be the proper way to play to public opinion is by saying, okay, well, if you can't walk into the stadium, then you should be mad at the players. The fact of the matter is that the way that most fans interface with the game now, isn't just by attending baseball games with your eyeballs and eating hot dogs and drinking beer. The social media element of it is a completely different thing. The way the media covers the game now, is just a totally different atmosphere. And people want to be a part of the game in ways that aren't just about sitting your butt in the seats and watching somebody hit a home run. So when you cut off the actual product, you prevent people who might have had an inroad in a different manner from even giving it a shot, because the only thing you're looking at is non games. And I don't know, Rob Manfred walking on his golf swing. You know what I'm saying? You're preventing yourself from gaining new fans. The people that are going to stay are probably already there. They're the ones who care, but you don't, you can't close the door to everybody else by simply saying, oh, no, 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 we've got some business going on behind here. We'll be out when we need to. Come on, man. People are smarter than that these days, and it's kind of embarrassing from an intellectual level to see that being the argument mainly used by the owners.
0: The stewardship of the game by the game I think is really interesting too where I feel like, and I've been railing against this over the last few days here on The Score, is I feel like even though you want a cutthroat negotiator to be – the person who's at the table for the owners. Like, I understand wanting that. I don't understand why they can't find someone who is capable of doing that behind closed doors, but still looks like he cares and likes the game in front of the public. And I don't get that vibe from Manfred at all. Like, I feel like there's a, there are better people to hire that are, have the same bona fides as negotiators as him, but would do a better job of trying to get the owner's point across to the players and to the public. That, that's, that may be true, but to be honest, Lohan, man, I don't
1: care, man. I'm, I'm, I'm not at the point where I'm worried about, and I'm not saying you're doing this, but many are sort of both sizing the fairness of what the owners are presenting, because the bottom line is whoever that person is, Rob Manfred, maybe a bug sealer, or whomever might've been in the past, they're representing the owners. And if those, people don't have the best interest of the game involved you talked about the stewardship it doesn't matter who's representing them and that's what the point I'm trying to get across to people is it's like hey if you really cared about baseball the minor leagues would be flush with everything to make sure that you were giving every baseball player who was of the level the best chance to get to the next level and make your team better so that you could win and you can make more money that seems obvious to any normal person who thinks that baseball is the primary but if you're looking at it from another standpoint You're just not budging. You know what I mean? And whether or not some guy can negotiate something or not has nothing to do with your primary stance of I'm not telling you how much money I make because I don't have to because I'm a billionaire. Again, I just think America looks at that differently now than they did not even when the last work stoppage happened in the 90s, but even like five years ago, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like billionaires are not exactly in, you know, and I think that's affecting how we look at a lot of things in terms of labor negotiations across sports and across America.
0: I went back and, and, and looked at some of the stories that were written about the minor leagues being chloroformed over the last couple of years. Why do you think it didn't really resonate with fans? And I think some of it is probably COVID, but it, it seemed like such a death knell to baseball overall, but it, it maybe didn't get the type of venom and anger that it should have gotten from, from us.
1: I mean, I think that a lot of that, more than maybe you're admitting, is due to COVID because nobody was kind of paying attention to anything, which I would add makes it particularly despicable. But that's another discussion. But the larger idea of we're trying to go market efficiency on the minor leagues of America from a cultural standpoint is insulting. Never mind, again, as I talked about before, the labor development standpoint. Like, come on. The whole thing that people like about minor league baseball is that, no, it is not the most market efficient thing, but it's what those places have. And to just cut that off at the knees under the guise that it was going to make it more competitive for the people that were still there, that's not why anybody showed up to begin with. You know, that's not what anybody's connection to the game was to start with. And it's just beyond tone deaf to the point of, I, I, I just didn't even know the words. Again, I said despicable before, but like, that just shows that these people who run these teams have no idea what's actually going on on the ball fields of America, and that again is the saddest thing of all.
0: Okay, so let's do this. Let, let's let's end on on something that's a little bit more fun. You've been to sure. a bunch of different places to to really enjoy the game of baseball. Give me a list. What's some What's something that that a a Chicagoan should try and venture out if they if they don't want if, if to they, if they've seen the minor league product that's around us and we have a lot of good minor league products here independently what are some places that you would say go and watch blank
1: okay well let me let me say it this way there's a, there's two levels of this the minor league product is one thing the college baseball product is another and the reason why i mention that is because there are just more opportunities to watch things you know i know the flames play pretty well i've seen them play and for me it's this if you want to see kids that are trying their hardest just to have fun and play a game, go to a college baseball game. If you see, want to see people that are desperate to make it because that is literally all they have, that's the minor league game. And the, the other thing about the minor league experience is this. It's not just about the players. The people who work in those front offices, the people who work the grounds crews, the people who are staff for those teams are some of the hardest working people in baseball. And you can feel that when you get out to the yard, so whatever it may be, you know, whether you're talking about, uh, like I said, college ball, whatever, or whether you're talking about, you know, anything from single A on up, like people are working hard. It's not the other way around. They're not minor league because they are not major league talents. They're minor league because they have probably been blocked from getting up to the big leagues because of hello, the oligarchs of America that run the baseball leagues.
0: I'm glad that you're using that word. I'm also recommending to people. College softball is a great game.
1: Yeah. I mean, listen, diamond sports are what I excel in. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, that's a whole other discussion. You know what I mean? I was just referring to the hardball world because that is what it is. But oh yeah, trust me, you catch me catching the softball all day. That was the only series, that was the only World Series I didn't make last year. I went to the Little League World Series, the College World Series, the World Series, didn't make the, the, uh, the Women's College World Series. I was upset about that.
0: I think that's going to be on my list this year of things I want to go because I mean I, I really enjoy the game. I, I've been talking about how I think it's perfect for television because usually the it games is. are ninety minutes. The field is smaller, so the whole field you can pretty much see, and, and you got a good look at it from pretty much any camera angle. It's such a great game, like our, and that's why I gotta I gotta give you credit, man. Like I've been very cynical over the last couple days, and it's it's honestly like pushed me into some dark places when i I start thinking and talking about baseball but seeing you out here in these streets and talking about it the way that you have has given me a little bit more hope and has opened my mind to the possibilities of you know what i can still really enjoy baseball in different ways and and when mlb comes back fine but there are ways that i can try and satiate that appetite for for the game that i grew up loving
1: I appreciate that. You know, this is the last thing I'll say about it. And that, to me, is ultimately what it came back to, because the reason I love baseball to begin with, it wasn't because of Major League Baseball. I just liked playing. I liked playing with my friends. I liked watching other people play. It, you know, by the time a team came around to my town, I was 24 years old. I walked into the stall after I went in that first Nationals game at RFK, and I cried my eyes out because I was like, wow. You know, but it didn't delete every other part of the game that i had known growing up and so look for all of those all of those of you out there you're in a two baseball city town which is adds an extra level of sort of despair and i totally understand that but man there's plenty of people still playing ball you know and that's just the reality and that's also kind of the paradoxical reason why it makes it so unfortunate on the mlb side
0: sir i appreciate your time thanks for always giving my show love man I, i appreciate it so much
1: you're the man, dude. Keep it up, and we'll talk soon. I'll figure out a time to get out the shot.
0: I would love that because we've got a lot to discuss, sir, so thank you very much for that. Yes, we
1: do. Have a great day.
0: That is Clinton Yates. He's great, and I, I really do think that he's, he's becoming, like, the patron saint of baseball, like, not of MLB but of baseball. Go follow him on Twitter. If you go into his Twitter feed, you'll see a lot of the different – minor league stops that he's made some of the college stops that he's made the story that he wrote about baseball in the bahamas is amazing this guy is one of the best to do it and and i'm really glad that i've like become friends with him because he i'm not kidding like he kind of restarted I, i'm not saying it's completely bad but he like, restarted the yeah man I, I really love baseball i'll just figure out a way to go find it even if it's not MLB. And when the White Sox come back, I'll be happy. When the Cubs come back, I'll be happy. But there are ways that I can get it, which is why I brought up earlier this week. College baseball, college softball are options for you. If you need it, you can go find it. And I am I am adamant about, passionate about college softball. I think it's a great sport. It's so crazy, I don't know if this was... Uh, If this was in reaction to my list, but I looked on on Twitter to see what was going on in my mentions, and I saw someone follow me, and it was my old neighbor, Yvette Healy, who is the coach at Wisconsin, and when I was in school, Yvette played softball, I played baseball, Like we would play catch and stuff, so it was so weird that at the moment when I was, like, talking about softball, and I don't want to say Yvette coached Loyola for a while. I think that's right. She was the head coach at Loyola for a while. But it was just kind of a dope thing to be like, oh, there's Healy. Healy's out here doing her thing at Wisconsin. So maybe when they come play Northwestern, I'll, I'll go watch them and, and, and root for the Badgers, right? Like I would, I would have to, right, because my friend coaches Wisconsin. No distant Northwestern. Their softball program is pretty good. But that was a lot of fun. Oh, by the way, thanks to everyone on Twitch. Twitch.tv slash Chicago6 the score. I'm going to go with on FanDuel tonight, DeMar over 28.5 and Bulls win. So that's going to be my bet tonight. I'm going to go with that, and you can follow along while you're watching the game. We will have the game for you here on The Score with Chuck and Bill on the call we're gonna take a break when we come back I get to throw shade at Marquette it's next here on the score
1: Lawrence Holmes noon to two on sports radio 670 the score and 670 thescorecom in Odyssey station
0: if you listen to this show you probably know what I'm getting ready to say if you don't listen to this show you should know that there is no team there is no school that I hate more than Marquette As a proud DePaul alum And professor That is the only team That still gets my ire When it comes to DePaul basketball DePaul men's basketball It goes back to my time as an undergrad It goes back to the, the parallel tracks That the programs were on and then Marquette taking a divergent path and having a ton of success over the last 25 years since I've been gone from college. I hate them. I really, really do. So last night was tremendously satisfying for me to watch DePaul beat up on Marquette, and it wasn't as close as the 91-80 to final score indicated. It felt so satisfying. And I know my friends like Nancy Armour, shout out to Nancy, who's a Marquette alum. They've been having a lot of fun at our expense for the last quarter century, and we've deserved it. But it was so satisfying to see DePaul not only beat Marquette, but get themselves to above 500 at this point in the season, which has been a rare thing over the last 15 years of DePaul basketball. I know it's just 15 and 14. And I know that they're going to play a really good UConn team on Saturday. But for a night, it has been joyous. And for the season, seeing Javon Freeman Liberty do what he's done has been outstanding. Congratulations to DePaul's men's basketball team for being relevant and stomping a mud hole in Marquette. Woo! I'll talk with Parkinson Spiegel next here on the score.